Welcome back, Seeker, to another episode of the Awakening Her podcast. This is a very special episode. This is day two of Purely Magnetic, a three-day event with three classes, all aiming toward activating your natural magnetism. So yesterday, I highly recommend listening to day one. You don't need to listen to it before doing this one, but definitely go back and listen. It is so powerful. All about your natural magnetism, confidence, who you truly are worthiness, your core essence, and so much more. It is so good. Today is day two. We are focused on healing. We are diving deep into healing practices, inner child healing. And as we go through this training, it is a little bit longer because I wanted to be really thorough and really help you to uncover the core narratives that are causing looping patterns in your life. This is a true training. So I appreciate you listening all the way to the end to get the most out of it. We will be identifying core narratives. We'll be talking about how when we were younger, when we were growing up, we were imprinted naturally by the people around us, how it's not our parents' fault, but it is our time to start to reprogram these narratives. So there's so much in here. Again, it is a live event, just like I said yesterday. So you will hear me interacting with the students and the seekers that join me. So many beautiful comments and insights and breakthroughs. I cannot wait for you to experience the same. So this is also your last tippy top chance to get on the activated waitlist. The waitlist closes tonight, June 27th at midnight, and we will open up secret registration for waitlist people only. And I have just added a bonus where the first two people to sign up for this program will get two weeks of private mentorship with me. So that is a huge bonus. I've never given away something like that, but I am committed to making sure that you get the life-changing transformation that you came for. So if you've been niggled, if you think that you want to join this program, you want to, you know, dive deeper into my signature process, all of the tools that I use to transform my life and with my clients, hop on the waitlist. The link is below in the show notes. I would love to see you in the program and see you experiencing the transformation that you came for. So without further ado, let's dive into day two of Purely Magnetic, all about healing. Are you ready? Hey, Seeker, welcome to the Awakening Her podcast. I am so grateful that you've been led here, and I'm excited for you that you're answering the call to manifest more magic in your life by mastering the law of attraction. So cool. My name is Talia, and I'm committed to cutting the fluff and showing you exactly how to manifest more excitement, ease, success, abundance, confidence, love, and anything else you've been craving. So if you're ready to crack the code on manifestation, amplify your intuition and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, seeker. Welcome to day two of Purely Magnetic. How are you doing? I am so excited you're here. Hello, Amanda. Oh my goodness, you guys, how is it going from day one? Yesterday was pretty epic. Hello, Brie. Hello, Abigail. Look at all you guys. Seekers ready to go for day two. I am so excited. This is going to be so good. Hello, hello. 
Let me know how you're doing today. Let me know how you're feeling. Maybe an emoji to represent your mood of how you are right now. I think mine would be the unicorn in this moment. I'm feeling pretty unicorny. Hello, everybody. Hi, Brie. Good morning. So happy to see you here. So today, hello, Lori. Happy you're here. Thank you for joining. I just registered and started watching day one. Amazing, Amanda. So you can watch this one and then go back to day one. They are intended to build on each other, but there's nothing here that like you have to have day one before you go into day two. So join as you are at the gym, ready to listen. Awesome. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us. As it was with yesterday, I am going to launch straight in today. I love having sort of these no fluff events where we just dive right in. So I am very excited. If any of you do not know me, if you're new here, thank you for the emojis. I'm seeing the stars. Amazing. If you are new here, welcome. As I was saying yesterday, we may be across the world from each other, across the country, um, but we are connected in this moment. You are here for potent medicine. There is no mistake that you are here, especially on day two, which is all about healing. So I am really excited about this. I am, It's such an honor to be here. I even did my makeup all fancy. Can you see how it's like pink and blue? Little known fact about me is I wear no face makeup. I just do my eyes. I've always been like that. I have a little bit of lipstick on today, but I've always done that. Even in high school, I always had like green eyeshadow or blue fading into green. And like people would always say, I look like I had like mermaid eyes or fairy eyes or whatever since I was young. And every time I have kids, for any of you that have been around kids or have kids yourself, I kind of lose some of myself because there's those first few months and years where I was just either breastfeeding or changing diapers or just so busy. I wasn't like, you know, in the, in the mirror doing my fun makeup, but in the last few few months even, I've been like, okay, my son's almost four. It is time. <laughs> no more just showers at 11 PM because that's all I can do in the day. Like I really want to like continue to do things like that, that are fun and creative. And I don't know about you, but whether it's kids or you just get busy in life, sometimes it's really easy to get away from those creative things. Like I love to paint. I'm not that great at it, but I love to paint. I love to make jewelry. Fun fact. I used to always make my own jewelry. I'd get like chains and the little like loops and get different pendants. I'd make beaded jewelry. I used to sell it. I lived in this beach town when I was about 20 and for two summers in a row, I would set up a table and I would just sell my jewelry. And I just love doing that stuff. I love rearranging rooms. I just like to be creative. And sometimes that goes to the side when we get really busy with our kids, with our career in our life. And sometimes it's just fun to come back to those things. It is actually healing to move into creativity, which kind of ties into today. But, um, I just, I don't know. It's a way that I express myself. I don't, yeah, I feel like it's probably my eyes. My eye makeup is like one of the main ways that I express myself. Like, how am I feeling today? And I'll go to my big palette that almost looks like like a Halloween palette because it's all these bright colors. And my kids go like, oh, I love that. I'm like, don't touch. That's mom's serious eye makeup palette with the pink and the purple and the blue and the, all of it. So anyways, thank you for listening to my fun rant about creativity and eye makeup. Yes, you love eye makeup yourself. Yeah, I've always found it's like that's where 
where I want to express myself. Um, and I've never really got into like face makeup and I just more focus on my eyes. It just feels like me. Thank you, my love. Hello, Denise. Welcome back. Okay. So again, if any of you don't know me, my name is Talia Joy. I am a guide on your path of awakening. That's what you're going through. I'm sure you know that by now, but you are definitely in an awakening. To me, an awakening is when we move from the, the awareness of just being human, just our 3D life. I am Talia. I have this body. I have this bank account. I have this status. This is my race. This is my height. All of that stuff. We move out of that into something more. It doesn't mean we abandon the 3D, and that's my biggest lesson is staying here, staying human. Um, it's tough because I love, I flourish in the 5D, but awakening is when we move, hello, my love, when we move from the 3D experience being all that there is into something more. So when we are in awakening, we're wondering things about maybe past lives, maybe intuition, maybe our spirit teams. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Like, what is this spirit God creator thing? What is all of this? We start asking bigger questions. What's the meaning? What's my purpose? You know, all these things. And that is an awakening path. It's a, and it's an awakening. I look at it like we are spirits here on a physical experience. Hello, Melissa. So we are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? So when we, um, when we are born, I believe, and this is how spirit shows me that part of the journey is kind of going to sleep and forgetting about our divine nature. So I believe when we're first born, a lot of kids do remember some of the non-physical. I think they have more memories, but as our ego develops, we start to forget about the spiritual experiences that we've been having for hundreds and thousands of years, or at least right before this life, we forget that stuff as our physical ego brain, the part of our brain that is the ego as that develops because ego is separation. And this is not a talk about ego today. So I'm just going to go quickly through this ego is I am me. You are you, we are different, right? black, white, light skin, dark skin, rich, poor, like ego is born of duality. This is how we are separate. But as we go through our, our awakening, we start to go, but how are we the same? How are we similar? Right? So as our ego develops, we forget this stuff. And then we become kids and teenagers and young adults. And, and we're taught of separation. And these are the rules of life, which does tie into today what we're talking about. This is how life works. This is what you must do. We learn all these things and it kind of replaces in our brain. I don't know if anyone's had one of those days where your brain's just filled. Maybe you were at a seminar or you just had a crazy day at work and someone's trying to tell you something. You're like, there's no more. If I start taking in more, I'm going to start forgetting other things because my brain is maxed out. And I feel like not that our brain gets maxed out necessarily, but we start forgetting some of that stuff. And some people call that spiritual amnesia. We come here, we forget, we're like put blinders on. We, we get these blinders put on and it's all part of our growth process because our soul came here to grow and evolve and to learn and to heal as we're talking about today. And so if we came in as a kid and just remembered everything of our divine nature and never, ever forgot, if we just remembered that, then like kind of what would the point be, right? Because part of this life is like, what is all this? And what happens when you die? And can I connect with my loved ones, my grandma? Is it possible to have a relationship? 
relationship with them after they're gone? What about our spirit team? All these things that are fun to discover. And so by the time, oh man, I have something in my eye again. By the time we get to be an older soul, we are, um, we're back into trying to remember and discover all of these things that we used to know. So that is an awakening. It's it's, and I'd love to hear your interpretation of an awakening. If you have, you know, um, a way of saying it, or if you resonate with that, hang on, I'm so sorry. This is going to bug me. Okay. We're good. (laughs) We're good. Um, so what is your definition of an awakening? Does that resonate with you? Like what is even going on here? Yeah. Spiritual narcolepsy. Totally. That's, I've heard that before as well. So I'm really excited for everything we're about to go on today because part of this awakening journey is the healing. It is so important. We're going to get deep into that. So, um, just understanding that like the way I teach manifestation, the way source has shown me is it's actually quite simple. We activate or desire something more. We heal what is in the way. And of course we're talking about that today. We're going to go much deeper. We heal what is in the way of that thing that we want. We deliberately go and create it. So this is then when manifestation practices, quantum embodiment, the her work, all that stuff comes in and we receive. And it's really that simple. We just need to get into energetic alignment with what it is that we want. And we know this, but we spend a lot of time going, but I deeply desire it. Like, what's the problem? Well, we're not quite in alignment yet. So healing is such a big part of this journey because you have learned things in your life that are holding you back from what you want. And as we go forward, (laughs) when it's getting too old, oh, the mascara, I thought you meant too old. Like I haven't washed it off. I'm like, oh, okay. I know what you mean in the tube. It's yeah, it's not that old, but maybe it is. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so really it's not that you can't have what you want. It's not that it's impossible. It's not that it's too hard. It's just that there is energetic resistance between you and what you want, whether it's money, whether it's a mental health goal that you have, a partner, you know, a certain level of well-being, health, whatever it is. There's just some energetic resistance between you and what you want. And once you clear that, it actually becomes quite simple to manifest it because you become more inspired. So I'm going to take a really I'm going to tell you a really quick story of how the healing work has really, really impacted me in my life. So you guys know body image, eating disorder, pain in my body, right? That's my story. That's my rigmarole. (laughs) Um, And when I was unhealed, and I don't know if we're ever perfectly healed. So I just want to say that when I say unhealed and healed, I don't, I'm not claiming that I'm on this pedestal or that I don't know if the healing ever truly ends. But anyway, when I was unhealed, I was going about my health, my body in what should I do? What should I do? Or I create this ironclad plan because I sit here going, I'm so uncomfortable in my body. Okay. Monday, I'm cutting carbs. Monday, I'm joining a boot camp. This is it. Here we go. We've all been in those places, right? Of desperation. It might not have been with your body, but it could be with money or with love or with anything else, your mental health, anything else in your life where you go, that's it. I'm sick of suffering. What should I do? What do I do? Who knows the answer? Where is the formula? We might create a plan of like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then I'm going to be able to get what I want. And that was the way I would go about things is drill sergeanty is what I call it. 
it'll it'll auto correct or it'll spell correct me when I write that out because that word is in the guidebook, drill sergeant T. But that's what I say. So when we are coming from the drill sergeant, we're coming from this ego place. We're coming from this um, frustration, this panic, lack, scarcity, and then we're coming from that trying to create a plan of healing or of success or of moving forward. But as we get sort of give ourselves some separation from that idea, we go like, yeah, that's never going to work. And again, I am going to dive deeper in, but we cannot drill Sergeant ourselves into results. Yes, we can have focus. Yes, we can take action. Yes, we can be inspired. And that inspiration has us be committed, but it's not from like, what's the answer? Because what is the answer got me into an eating disorder? I was like, oh, Jennifer Aniston did this soup cleanse and this friend did this thing and this low calorie diet and this keto thing. And this, you know, that was just my journey. I'm not against diets. Do what you will choose your own adventure. But for me, it was always like, what is the answer? What the fuck is wrong with me? Was the other narrative. What is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And so everything I was doing was coming from that place of lack and scarcity. What is wrong with me? I hate my body. I have to change. And that never got me anywhere except into an eating disorder, into addiction, because I couldn't be in my mind anymore. But now from this place, this, this healed place up on my pedestal, I'm just absolutely kidding. But from this place, now I am so committed to myself that I'm excited to do yoga every day. I want to go for a walk. I want to eat more fruits and veggies. I want to drink more water. I want to cut out the things that make my gut feel weird or give me headaches or make me feel lethargic. I want to do that. So I was laughing with a client the other day that I've recently in about the last month, month and a half, I've completely cut out wheat and dairy. And again, this isn't a talk about food, but it does come into the healing. Um, and I, I just was really noticing a lot of gut stuff. Of course, in my healing journey of my body, I want to get into, um, like the, the right state to lower inflammation, all that kind of stuff. So I naturally was like, wheat and dairy, it's got to go. I want to take it out for a bit and then try it and see if it makes that big of a difference. And so it was like overnight, I was like, okay, wheat and dairy out. I don't eat a ton of wheat and dairy, so it was fine. But we made burgers. I had like a salad burger bowl and I've just been very effortlessly completely cutting these things out. No problem going like, no, thanks. I don't want a cupcake. I genuinely love myself more than I desire that food now. And I'm not talking any food, of course. I'm not talking about calorie restriction. I'm talking about cutting out the things that were making my body inflamed. So the reason why I'm saying all this is I was laughing with a client who also has gone through eating food stuff. And I was like, how many diets have said, cut out wheat and dairy, right? In our mind, I should cut out wheat and dairy. I've read wheat belly. I've, you know, I used to be vegan. I know about dairy. I should, I should, I should. But that never did it. When I fall in love with myself, when I start learning how to love myself, I go, you know what? Every time I eat this, I feel bloated. I don't feel good in the spirit of love for myself. I'm going to try this thing. And then it becomes easy. 
So the things we want to create, the business or health maybe for you, or as I say, mental health, or you just want to have a more rock solid spiritual practice or something, it becomes easy to do it when you are coming from love versus coming from the unhealed, the drill sergeant, the shoulds, the, you know, like my body, it would be like, you're a piece of crap. You need to change. This is like going all uneven. That's okay. That never got me anywhere. But by me leaning into what does my body want? What authentically is in my highest good and my highest self? Now it's like the simplest thing to cut out wheat and dairy. Whereas I tried that a million times before, but it was not coming from love. So I'm curious if that resonates with anybody. So how we're going to dive in today with healing is I'm going to start with inner child healing. Um, this is what we're going to talk about mostly today in my signature program activated. As you guys have been hearing lots about, by the way, this is the last day to get on the wait list. And then we are closing the wait list and opening up secret registration tomorrow. I just added a new bonus for the first two people to join, to sign up for activated from the wait list, they're going to get two weeks of private mentorship with me for free, which is massive. I am going to make sure that you get the life-changing transformation that you came for. So if you're interested, watch out for that link coming tomorrow to sign up because I will be giving away for the first two people only two entire weeks of one-on-one -on -one mentorship with me, which I've never done before. I've never given away private mentorship or especially two weeks of it. I don't think I've ever given it away at all. So it's really exciting. It feels really good. I'm going to support you in the program. Um, but why I'm saying that is this is what I teach in activated. We go into inner child healing because this has been so transformative in the last year for me, in the last six months for me, it has radically changed my life. It was something I was not aware of at all. I'd heard the term inner child healing, but I'd never gone deep in myself and it radically changed my life. It was actually probably about a year and a half ago. Now it came to me, but the healing deepens as I practice deeper, as I teach, as I implement, as I practice what I preach, um, it all comes deeper and deeper. So that's what we're going to dive into. I'm going to talk all about it, how to do it. I'm going to give you everything I possibly can today. Some of this is actually from activated some, I, I just, you know, allowed source to channel through what they wanted to say. Some is actually, I took little snippets from my book. It's really exciting. So I really hope that today it really serves you. I'm going to dive full on into healing. Well, yeah. So with exercise, walking for exercise, I've been doing it gratefully gratefully daily and feeling the love for myself. Yeah. And how many times have has someone said you should go for a walk or inside you go, I should go for a walk. If I just went for a walk every day, it'd be amazing. But then when you love yourself and you do it in gratitude, it actually becomes quite easy. So I love that. So with inner child healing, I have another fresh cup of coffee today. If you guys remember from yesterday, I was getting you to remind me to take a sip of coffee, which I so appreciate because I don't want it to get cold. <laughs> so under the age of seven, let's go there. Okay. Under the age of seven, you were developing unique programming that would go on to control the rest of your life. No big deal. <laughs> As a kid, we learn through witnessing through learning and through taking in, maybe hearing, being told somehow how life 
works, right? The same as a baby giraffe or a a baby deer or whatever. (laughs) Yes, drink your coffee too. The same way that a baby giraffe learns life from, learns how to do life from its mom or from its dad in those first few years or months. I don't know how long a giraffe is with, (laughs) with their parents. Maybe I should have done research before I use the examples, but just like a baby animal is learning from their mom or dad, they're, they've got their like wobbly Bambi legs and they don't know what's what, right? If mom or dad saw a hyena, the baby might just be like, oh, you know, doesn't even know. And then very quickly they go like, oh, mom and dad act different when this hyena comes around, like they shoo us aside or protect us. And slowly, and quickly, they learn, okay, hyena is a threat. When I see that, we hide. Or, you know, if it's whatever, the male or the dad might get on defense and might go charge or go protect, whatever it is, they're a blank slate until they learn these things from mom and dad. So for us, we learn in those first few months and years up till age seven, of course, we're still learning from our parents beyond age seven, but that's where they say the brain development part comes into play. So up until seven, we are taking in information constantly from our parents, from our caregivers, from teachers, from media, basically anyone older from us, uh, older than us. Do you remember? when you were a kid and you thought like a 12 year old was like the coolest and you'd watch them like, Oh, how do older kids act? Or you'd see a 16 year old, like, Oh my goodness, teenagers. And you kind of try to like be a teenager, right? We're learning. We're learning how people do life. We are learning what life is before the age of seven. That's when our brain is forming and they say we're taking in, taking in, taking in. And then around seven or eight, we start developing our unique personality. We might start going more into dance or creativity or finding our voice or going out, you know, and then there's these degrees of sort of separation where around age, you know, six to eight, we have this whole chunk of separation that happens when we either go to school, we start meeting friends, we might have a play date, we might have an overnight at grandma's house or whatever. And there's this separation from parents. And then again, it happens when we're a teenager, we go even farther out into the world. Maybe we're taking a trip with a friend or we're away for the weekend or whatever until we're 18, 19. And then we're on our own where we might live on our own. We might still live with our parents, but, but, but at the that point, if you bought a ticket to Hawaii and took a vacation on your own, your parents are like, okay, have fun, be safe, right? So there's this gradual separation that happens. So under the age of seven, we are so susceptible to taking in what our parents, what our caregivers, what the world is teaching us. I also teach here that um, I'm this, I'm actually getting ahead of myself in my notes, but I think this is going to be really revolutionary. When I teach this in activated, most people have never thought about it this way. So we're either learning by hearing, being told like our mom is going like, you know, you can't trust anyone in life or, you know, like I, how I said to you, I used to hear when I was a kid, money is really hard to make and really easy to spend. And I had a single mom. She was working overnight. She was working really hard. We didn't have a lot of money. So in her perception, money was hard to make and easy to spend. And I heard about it. So I developed that belief, but the part that's new or the part that not everybody's heard is we, we hear these things, but we also empathetically pick up on things. So this is the part where personally, when source like showed this to me, I was like, 
damn, because sometimes we go like, what did my parents say about money? What did my parents? And some people will say to me, I have clients that go like, I loved my parents. They were so amazing. Maybe they had like such a good experience with parents that were together and they were strong and we had a roof over our head and all of that, but they still have these, you know, looping patterns that come from um, where we need to heal. And this can be because we empathetically picked up on things. So maybe the relationships were great. Your mom was this strong woman or who, whatever, but you saw her in the mirror, looking in the mirror, like lifting up her shirt going, even little tiny things. Or you saw her be like, Oh, I'm going to put some rice back. Cause you know, I already had carbs today. Or you heard these little tiny comments. You empathically saw your mom go, uh, or like, oh, I can't just little things like, oh, like maybe your, your dad says something about you should wear this bathing suit to mom. Maybe that's weird. But mom goes, you know, oh, I don't have the body for that. There's these little things that we heard, we saw, we felt, and we picked up on. And yes, exactly. Brie, it does not mean that they're bad people. Sometimes we have parents. I don't believe anybody is innately a bad person. I think we have wounding, which I'm going to get to. I don't think that even if your parents had addiction or one of them, you know, walked out or there was, you know, lack, um, someone was unfaithful or whatever. It doesn't mean they're horrible humans. It means that they were figuring out their own stuff. They had their own traumas. They had their own wounds, right? Which a lot of us understand, but yes, with Brie and in, in the case of this, sometimes like our parents are just incredible people, but we still pick up things because we latch on. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but kids have an incredible people that are like psychologists, child psychologists, kids have an incredible way to internalize things by nature. They are self-centered, which is why, you know, your kid can like, like I see my daughter, like drop a piece of garbage, like on the floor and just walk away. And she doesn't know I saw her. I'm like, ah, can you pick that up? She's like, oh, cause they're just, they're just centered around self, you know, a lot of times. Um, so we see things unfold and we go, what does this mean about me? You know, a lot of people, if their parents got divorced, it'll be like, if I was better behaved, then my parents wouldn't have fought. Or if I didn't take, you know, hockey, totally making myself, outing myself as Canadian, if I didn't take hockey lessons, then maybe my parents would have more money and they wouldn't have been so stressed and they would have stayed together. Like kids have this ability of internalizing everything. So if you see your mom in the mirror, kind of go like, even if she doesn't even know you were watching, you will go, what does that mean about my body? What does that mean about what a woman should be? You might not have thought those words at six, but as you get older, that's what internalizes. So we learn these things that go on to control the rest of our life. So many of us were shown in some way or another, maybe through destructive patterns or humans, you know, like adults that are just humans that are just going about their life doing their best, but their stuff comes through. So often we are shown, it might be that it's unsafe to trust people or that it's unsafe to express your emotions. I've had so many clients that are empaths that are highly sensitive, that were more emotional than their siblings, or maybe they were an only kid and their parents didn't know how to deal with their emotions. So they shoved them down. I can't tell you how many clients I've had that have a similar story to that. Like, yeah, I just shoved it down, keep the peace. They didn't know how to handle me. They would tell me to like not have such big emotions or like, it's okay, you're fine, shove it away. So there can even be things like that where a non-sensitive parent raising an empath, I know I was told constantly, Jesus, Talia, you're too sensitive. You're too sensitive all the time. So I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me, right? 
So, and now I'm raising an empath, at least one of my kids I know for sure is. And it's hard sometimes, even though I'm the one who understands, teaches, helps people around this. Sometimes I see my daughter, I'm like, oh God, like she internalizes everything. If I wasn't so self-aware, I might want to go like, stop being so sensitive, but I wouldn't because I know how much that hurt me. But I also understand like it's tough. So we were brought up in these ways. Maybe it wasn't safe to express emotions. Maybe there was a lack of safety. A parent walked out. There was fighting. There was addiction. There was violence. There was abuse of some sort. There was a parent that was always drunk or non-present. We learn these things. We may have learned about money. We may have learned that money either is the root of all evil, which is a very, um, Melissa, that was your life. Which, which part of it, if you feel like sharing and thank you for sharing. I love you so much. Um, and I'm sorry that you went through that. Um, so maybe you learned that money was the root of all evil, the way that your parents might make comments like, oh, it's fine for them. Like they're rich or like, oh, you see them, they're probably dealing drugs or it's good for them. But like people like us don't get rich. So we might've learned that money's the root of all evil, or we might've learned money is really important. You need to have money. You need to make something of yourself. You need to be of status. Money means importance. It means validation. It means success, right? We could be taught that money's evil, or we could be taught that money is everything. You need money to be worthy, to be, that's how we show that we have it together, right? Like keeping up with the Joneses, almost like, you know, we want it, we need to have the fancy cars. We need to have the nice stuff to feel good about ourselves. There's a lot of different things we could have been taught. Let me just read some of these beautiful comments. Amanda, my husband is always telling my little boys, don't cry, be tougher, etc. saying they're too sensitive. Yeah. And that's, it's tough because we want to prepare our kids for the real world. We want our kids in some ways to like toughen up, you know, have a thick skin, but those words can be so powerful, even though they're coming, especially in your example, they're coming from a good place. I'm sure your husband is doing it for a good intention. If you said, why do you say that? He'd probably say, because I want them to like not be pushed around by bullies, or I want them to be able to stand in themselves and have confidence. But the way we go about it often is the thing that later we have to go back and friggin' heal. And now I see with my kids, I'm like, okay, they're going to have to go back and heal this exact time. So let's be very careful what I'm putting into them. And either way, they're going to have to go back and heal something. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough because we, you know, I say to my daughter about like resilience and about confidence and I'll use the example, like if you put on a shirt for the day and you go to school and someone says like, that's a stupid shirt. Cause that's, you know, elementary school level to say, or to feel within yourself, like, that's nice. You think my shirt's dumb, but I love it. And we kind of have talked about that since she was young. That's almost the way we want to instill confidence. Not that I am at all a perfect parent. It is so hard. I am not perfect, but that's what we want our kids to have a thick skin. So it's easy to say that stuff. Like you're fine. Don't cry. But now we have to go back and learn how to feel our emotions because we were told to not cry. Right. Um, um, Melissa being an emotional kid. Yeah. I tell them any emotion they have is okay because it's how they're feeling. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He it, probably his reasoning is something. Maybe that's even the way he was taught, right? My dad taught me to suck it up and you know, I turned out great. So that's what I'm doing to my kids or something. Um, yeah, I know. And they will, they will have to heal. I talk to clients all the time that had incredible parents. Some of you are here today that had incredible parents and you still have things to heal. That is actually why we're here. 
We came here to heal. We came here to move through our shit because in our shit, not our physical shit, our metaphorical shit, in that junk is the, are the lessons that we came here for. In that is exactly what you came here for. You probably hear me say this on the podcast. Buried within your deepest struggle is exactly why you are here. So this healing work actually brings you closer to your soul's purpose, to your true essence, to becoming who you are meant to be, what you intended on a soul level. It only comes through healing. It only comes through healing because that's where our lessons are. One of my biggest lessons here is unconditional love for myself, for others, primarily starting with myself because we came here for lessons for us and then we take that and spread it to the world. So I was taught anything but unconditional love. I was taught that love was conditional. I have a weird relationship with my family. I don't feel supported. I don't feel loved. My dad is the exception. He is incredible. But the rest of my family, it has not been unconditional love. For my body, I put conditions on how much I will celebrate myself and how much I will allow myself to feel like I'm doing a good job. It's like a life lesson for me. So I was given the opposite. An eating disorder is only loving yourself under certain conditions, only being proud of myself if I lost weight. That is conditional love. So I, within that struggle, is the medicine of why I'm here. And I want everyone to understand that deeper and deeper, that it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that this is why you came here. That's why you're drawn to the healing work because your soul isn't just saying like, yeah, let's heal so we can manifest some shit. That might be what your mind is doing, but your soul is going like, now we're getting to it. You're finally becoming willing to open up more and more and see what is here for you. So in the healing is the most powerful transformation and um, place where you actually find your magnetism. So I was a sensitive and emotional kid too, still that way and grateful. Me too. Me too. Same kid. I'm still the same kid. I just see it differently now and I appreciate it. Hey Carly, it's been a while. Yes. I'm so excited. Denise, the obstacle is not in your way. It is the way. Yes, 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 yes. Amanda, sadly, my husband makes love feel conditional. If you make some more money, if you work more instead of staying home with the kids, etc. why I want to be abundant for myself and options. Yeah, I hear you. And that again is the way he was raised. Like if you go into his parents, I'm sure, you know, being with him, you know who his parents are or were, or, you know, how he was raised. And that's probably exactly it. Like our, because our identity as a human, our ego goes, well, like, because the question of what am I is kind of almost unanswerable, truly. That's why I love to like riff with people for two hours on like, what is this? And what am I? But your ego is like, okay, enough of the fluff. You are your bank account. You're a millionaire. You're a Caucasian or you're a Southeast Asian female and you're this height and you're this status and you're gay, straight, bi, whatever. Like there's all these boxes that our ego tries to put us in because our soul is like, I am everything and I am one and I am nothing and I am all of it and your ego's like <laughs> that makes no sense to my logical brain right so it's just really interesting to look at this and have see how our ego attaches to who am i 
It's how many likes I have. It's how nice of a home I have, how many friends I have, right? I have clients that go through an awakening and start to want to spend time alone and will say to me, like, I've never gone out to eat on my own. I've never spent a Saturday alone. I've never just chosen to stay in. I've never had a birthday where I do something on my own for the day. I need to be around people. That's where my validation is. Sometimes they don't have that awareness at first, but often they do because my clients are like you guys, right? You're seekers. You have a lot of awareness. Anyway, the ego attaches to these things like money, status, how many friends you have. Like to be alone on a Saturday night is, you know, when you're in high school, it's like, I don't want to be a loser. And we carry these things, but um, it's not the true self, right? Yeah, his mom's that way. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it makes sense. It does. There's definitely that through line. So anyway, we were shown all these things, right? When we were young. So you might've been bullied like me or felt shame for who you are. Maybe you have a birth defect or a defect. That's such a weird word. I feel like that doesn't even suit anything anymore. Or maybe you were a slower or faster learner, or you were really tall and skinny with really long legs and you were the tallest girl in your class, or maybe you were the shortest or whatever, right? We all have experienced things. We felt shame about who we are in some way or another. I know my husband, I've shared the story before, but he's colorblind. But when they were really young, he didn't know yet that he was colorblind. So I think it was like grade three or something. They were all coloring a tree and he colored the trunk like bright orange and the leaves were like green or maybe they weren't green. There was some other like totally random pink or something. And the teacher, you know, held it up and said, okay, class, like you were supposed to do a realistic coloring. This is what you don't do. This is what you don't do. Phil did it wrong is what they would say. And he didn't even know he was colorblind at that point, but it made him feel not smart enough. And until he did his own work, that was a thread of his stuff, just like we all have, right? Like I'm not smart enough. It's unsafe to speak up. It can be these one thing, this one thing that happens that just we close down. We're like, okay, clearly I'm not good enough. What do I need to be to fit in? What do I need to be to fit in, right? That's like we talked about that yesterday. Being your essence is being magnetic. The opposite of that is like, what do I need to be? What do I need to be? Which comes from these wounds. So you might've been bullied. You might've felt shame for who you are. You have imprinted beliefs under the surface that run the show. You just do. It doesn't mean you're broken. I do. You do. That person does. Neighbor Dave, I'm sure he does. I was talking about neighbor, neighbor Dave on the podcast. Um, but we have these beliefs and then get this since the time that belief was imprinted six, seven, eight years old, you've been either re recreating it or reacting to it since then. And this causes a subconscious loop that keeps us in a looping pattern and causes energetic resistance. So I was bullied for my body. When I was seven, before that, I was like free, running in the sprinkler, really didn't care, running around with my friends, bathing suits, nothing mattered, doesn't matter. I had no awareness of body shame. Then I was bullied. The following summer, I remember looking at my friends and going like, oh, she's a lot skinnier than I am. And like, oh, I'm bigger. Like I had all of a sudden, I saw something different. And then in the couple following summers, as I become nine or whatever, I started being really insecure in a bathing suit. And I started always wanting to wear a t-shirt and I started covering up more with a towel. And then when I was a teenager, like I had anxiety going to the beach that went into, I got to lose weight. I have to lose weight. I was made fun of again, not as severely. Well, grade eight was really, really bad. The police were involved. It was again about my body. But then as I got to be older, I wasn't bullied anymore. 
but that imprint that had cemented into me. So then I became obsessed with losing weight and it was like, I have to lose weight because that is how I will feel okay about myself. I had shame, guilt, and that led to binge eating that led to sugar cravings. It was this huge clusterfuck starting with a wound when I was seven. So since that wound, you're either recreating it or in resistance to it until you do the healing work. So for me, I was in resistance to being, I'll use the F word once, fat. I don't like that word. I don't like using it um, because I just think it has weird connotation. But that was the narrative was like, oh my gosh, I, I either am it, I just believed I am it, or I can't be it. I can't be this, I have to lose weight. But do you see how I was either reenacting it or reacting to it my whole life. So if you got, if you were brought up with money's hard to make, or there was money scarcity or something like that, you're either reenacting it and you're sitting here going, there's never enough money, which was directly your parents' narrative, or you're like, fuck that. I am not going to be poor. I am going to be a millionaire by 30. I am not going to do what my parents did. Um, I have an ex, I was married before my husband and he was brought up with an alcoholic mom who was on the streets a lot of the time. And he, for a while was like, Ooh, is he going to end up down that road? And then cleaned himself up and became the opposite. I will never end up an addict. I am going to be there for my parents because his mom was not present in his life. Sorry, be there for his kids. He was going to be there. He was going to become a man. He was like a manager of a retail store, like Home Depot type store. By the time he was like 18, he was living in reaction to what his mom did. So of course that was a good thing. He became really successful. He became successful early. He became driven. He was like hardcore driven towards success because he was determined to not become an addict, to not waste his life away type of thing. But in that, he's constantly searching for validation. And also my perspective of it is he's always looking for like someone who's hurting him or like, I'm going to be super on this. So you can't take advantage of me. So he has really high defenses and being his ex, (laughs) he does not enjoy me very much. Um, but he will hold on to something and hold it for the rest of his life because you won't fuck me over. And so he's got this like reaction because he's like, I'm not going to become that. I'm not going to do this. So sometimes it's interesting how we either recreate our wounds or we're in reaction to them. So a big part of unblocking yourself and in your life is to become aware and to start healing these old programmings. And then we can learn how to powerfully choose a new narrative. So in week one of Activated, we do the whole authentic self-activation, which is like a lot of what we did yesterday. And then we move on to healing. And after that is the deliberate creation, which is the conscious and subconscious reprogramming. And that's exactly how we need to do it. Whether you take my program, you learn it on your own. It's like, we need to heal. And then we go in and reprogram that belief. Like, wait, money isn't hard to make or wait, I'm not, you know, I am worthy of the life that I desire. So healing, as you start to identify your core limiting beliefs, and we're going to go into an exercise live together. So you can start to uncover those. But as you start to identify these limiting beliefs and core wounds that you operate from, you start to see that your inner child was made to believe these things. This is what we're talking about, right? You were made to believe these things. It's not that they're innately true. As we touched on yesterday, you were led to believe it. 
You were led to believe that money's hard to make. Yeah, hypervigilant. That's totally what he was as a defense, right? So you were led to believe that your body wasn't enough. You were led to believe you were too sensitive because that's what somebody that you looked up to told you. So when you look at it like that, it's like, oh, I'm not just messed up. I don't just have all these things wrong with me. I am a human with a forming brain (laughs) that was told things. And it could have been from loving parents. It could have been from parents that were deeply suffering. It could have been from both. Could have been from caregivers. Could have been from teachers, the media. But you were told, and I say this kind of funny, but kind of not, shitty beliefs. I even teach this inactivated. I'm like, listen, you were taught shitty beliefs. <laughs> they're not true. And by shitty, I just mean they're, they're not true. So healing, what is actually healing? So healing comes from self-compassion. First and foremost, this is something that I did not realize. I thought there was like some fancy formula and I go through this step-by-step and then I'm healed. And then I just repeat the process. But actually healing is more about self-compassion. And if you're not in self-compassion, you're not doing the healing work. No matter how much you try, no matter how many other fancy things you do, no matter how many manifestations or cord cutting exercises, which I love, I love all of our manifestations. I think I said that affirmations, no matter how many fancy tricks you do, you are not healing if you're not in self-compassion. So I want you to either write that down, repeat that to yourself. Healing is self-compassion. Healing is self-compassion. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about why. As you see that you're not ultimately broken, you're not ultimately weak, you're not ultimately unable to create the life you want, you're not ultimately behind, you're not ultimately too sensitive for the world, you were just given and shown shitty beliefs that simply aren't true. And this is where healing starts to happen. This is healing slash reprogramming. I'm kind of taking you there in that in this. Because I really want you to be able to move the needle forward through this three-day event and through what we're talking about today. So saying to yourself, I've been led to believe X, Y, Z, and we're going to get into the narratives in a moment so you can identify the narratives that are running the show and actually start the healing. So I've been led to believe money's hard to make. I've been led to believe my body is not good enough or is shameful or is unlovable. I've been led to believe that people like me don't become millionaires or people like me aren't smart enough or whatever your your, um, narrative is. However, it doesn't mean it's ultimately true. I was saying this yesterday, right? I have believed that I'm not good enough, but it doesn't mean it's actually true. I have believed that I'm unlovable, but that's not actually true. Whatever it is for you, it doesn't mean it's ultimately true. And I say this in Activated. I even have this like slide that I love. I just love when I get to this place in the training where it's like, does God have a sign in the sky that says money is hard to make or thou shalt not become a millionaire? Because that's how I picture God talks, right? Um, He's sitting up there with his staff going like, Your body is shameful. And I I say this kind of lightly, but like these are deep narratives. So I don't want to come across as uncaring, but I do want you to start to just ask, is it actually ultimately true? Like gravity is true. Like the fact that the moon will come up again and the sun will come up. It like, like really fundamentally ultimate truth. Is it true that you are not enough? that you are too much, that you are incapable of doing what you want. No, the answer is no. 
I'm not even going to leave that open-ended. The answer is no. It's not ultimately true. Like physics true. No, it's not. It's what you've been led to believe. Yes, Amanda, healing is self-compassion. If I am not in self-compassion, I am not yet doing the healing work. But as soon as you know that, you can now start to step into the healing work. So in reality, you were simply taught that your parents, your caregivers, or sorry, you were taught your parents and your caregivers limitations, lack, and scarcity. And I want you to hear this. They were never yours. They were never yours. You had no choice as these beliefs were projected onto you, either from your parents, caregivers, also just even the world. Sometimes the world looks at things a certain way, especially systemic problems about like what a woman is or certain races or, you know, ethnicities, ways of life, um, um, it doesn't matter. Different ways of doing life are looked at different ways by the world. You may have controversial beliefs or you may have been bro- um, raised in poverty or whatever. And then the world projects onto you what that means, right? You're less than. So again, sometimes it's just from the world narrative. I know the, the body stuff, it was the bully, but then it was reinforced as I started to become 12, like into teenagerhood, because I would see skinny celebrities everywhere. I would see the cover of every freaking magazine. I would see my sister or a cousin lose some weight and everyone goes, oh, you look so good. It's like, I would see it. I would empathically pick up on it. Even if my mom never said, Talia, skinny is better. I don't think she ever actually said that. I saw her struggle with her body. I was bullied. And then it was a clusterfuck of media and the celebration of pin thin at that time. It was like the Lindsay Lohans and the Nicole Richies were like literally skin and bones. And that's what was celebrated. Oh, she's looking good. And I look at them and it's like skin and bones. I'm like, oh, I guess that's what good looks like. Right? So again, you were just, these, these beliefs were projected onto you. And especially the ones coming from your parents, coming from your household, whoever raised you, they were projected onto you. You never had a choice You were like five, six, seven. You didn't have a choice what to believe. The little giraffe doesn't go like, actually, I'm going to befriend the hyena. Actually, dad, the way you're doing that is old school. Why don't we all work together, right? No, they're just taught. And if you want to survive, you fucking get in line. If you want to survive, you believe what your parents say. You need to be part of the community. You need to belong. So even if it's quote unquote unhealthy beliefs, they were projected onto you. You had no other choice. You were a kid. And even if some of these beliefs came around when you were a teenager, you were a teenager. You didn't know. So that is an area of self-compassion. I didn't know. I was taught that money was hard to make. I didn't know. It wasn't your fault. It's what was projected onto you. And they weren't even your beliefs. They weren't even yours. And so now we get to go back because it's not their fault 
because they are parents whoever were simply acting out their beliefs that were imprinted onto them. And this is when people get talking about generational trauma, right? We hear about this a lot lately, generational trauma. So let's just go for the women that are here and um, for the men that are here, go with the dad, you know, in your life, but your mom figure for the women, you look at how she acted. Was she a martyr? Did she give, give, give and deplete herself? Was she a strong woman? Was she, did she have her own business? Was she in the shadow of her man? Like, was she a single parent, whatever it was. And then look at her mom. Did her mom put down her needs to serve the husband and kind of just be the woman and cook and clean and whatever else. Or again, for men, look at your dad. And then their mother, and and we don't know a lot of times, because even if we have a family tree, it doesn't talk about the internal wounding going on in all of the lines. But I knew, I know that a few generations back, I had martyr energy where women would give and give and give and give and be depleted and nobody would be there for them. And they would feel very alone and overgiving. My Nana even was like, hunched over because I feel like she was always cooking and cleaning and she didn't like have her own voice because when she was growing up, she needed her husband to come to the bank to even get a fricking bank account. She had had, she had her husband, my Nana would tell this, her husband had to come with her to the car dealership because she went to the car dealership and the car dealership people laughed at her and said, Oh, that's nice. Bring your husband back and then we'll get you set up with a car. We'll see what he has to say. You know, we'll, Men, we'll talk about the details, right? She was brought up in a time, this is probably when this was happening, it was like the 40s or whatever, when she had to live in the shadow of her man or so she had to believe, right? And then, so she probably gave, gave, gave. And then that bled onto my mom who would give, 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 but also be passive aggressive around it, be bitter around it, make a lot of remarks around it. And then I would feel guilty. And when we look at this, generational trauma, just shit on shit on shit. And all of us were just seven-year-olds taking this in. And so now we get to the place where you realize that you've just been acting out the beliefs of what you were taught and your parents, it's not a, you know, poop on your parents parade because they were just acting out the beliefs they were taught as we were talking, um, you know, in here about your husband, uh, with Amanda is like, we were talking about like your husband was brought up in that way. So there's no fault. We don't want to start being mad at our parents for all this stuff. But what we do is we start to have compassion for them. And then most of all, compassion for yourself, that this is just what you were taught. Have you ever brought, were you ever, did anything ever happen when you were growing up where you learned a word and you thought it meant something else? And you use that word. And then maybe when you were like a teenager or something, someone's like, you know, that doesn't actually mean that. And I'd be like, what do you mean? And then you have to relearn it. And then every time you hear that word, you still think of that old meaning or something that you thought someone's name was something. And you just can't because it's like it was cemented early on. Right. So when I was a kid, I said to my mom one time, Mom, I'm ravishing. And I actually meant to say famished. I was like really young, trying to use a big word. And I meant to say like, I'm so hungry, I'm famished. But I said, I'm ravishing. And then she laughed and didn't really correct me or I don't maybe I don't remember it. And so then I started thinking that ravishing 
meant famished, like hungry. So I'd be like, mom, I'm ravishing. When's dinner? And I just remember even up until a teenager, I started to know, of course, but in my mind, when I went to say like, I'm so hungry, I would hear the word ravishing come up and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what that means. And that's exactly it is our brain cements things in that we learned. And now we get to decondition and heal generational wounds. So if you are here, I bet you are a generational wound healer because the people that came before us, our parents, especially our grandparents, especially, especially their parents, they didn't have the luxury of sitting around and doing self-development work, of hiring a mentor, of reading all these books, of going on a retreat somewhere and doing plant medicine or having shadow work and journal prompts. They didn't have that. Most of the time they were in lack and scarcity and they couldn't have, didn't have the resources or the time or the capacity to do self-development work. But now we do. We, we are now here with these resources, with people online like this talking, with free videos you can watch and journal prompts you can download everywhere and courses you can take and shadow work you can read about. It is because we are in a time on a big scale where we are ready to heal the wounds of the generations before us, the wounds that have gotten us into a world like we have with division, with, you know, like unbalanced patriarchy and all of these different systemic issues are coming from the issues from before. So we are now in the generation where we get to heal these things. And so for you in your life, you are now in the place where we can look and go, I was taught these things, but now I want a different life for myself. Even if your mom, your grandma, your, everyone was incredible humans. You want a different life for yourself. Your grandma, oops, sorry, just getting a call. Your grandma may have wanted to just stay home and be a homemaker and that's what made her happy. But maybe you want to travel the world. Maybe you want to have your own business. Maybe you don't want to be married or you want to have seven kids or you want to have no kids. You get to do things differently now through this healing work. So let's dive into identifying the narrative. So if you're in a place, you can have a piece of paper out. It would probably be helpful. If not, it's all good. I'm going to take a sus suspenseful sip of coffee. Okay. So as we start to uncover the root narratives that come up, we start to see more clearly what's going on. So I'm going to go through a few different exercises because there can be, as you're seeing, like there can be many different narratives coming from many different places. So the first thing I want to talk about is your limiting narratives that you picked up on in childhood, which is what we're talking about here. You love that about the generational healing. It's powerful. That's what we are here to do. This generation of old souls, of empaths, of seekers, of light workers, it is like, this sounds very strong, but it is our job. It is our duty to go through this healing work for future generations, for our children. Even if you don't have children, I'm talking generationally, bigger scale, for the people that come after us, for our relationships, for our quality of life. The planet is ascending. So we are actually in a time where it becomes our job to heal. It's like heal like it's your job. Make it the most important thing in your life, if that's where you're at in your life, and your life will dramatically change. And then it starts to change the ripple effect. Because even if you don't have kids, you're out in the world, you're impacting everybody, and you have a job, you have a profession, maybe you're a healer, a light worker, a teacher, a anything, anything that you do, you're passing on wisdom, information, all of these things. So it does become our job for the sake of the planet. Please continue on 
the healing work. It's the best thing you could possibly do for all of us and for you to manifest abundance and all of that. Okay. So childhood narratives, what are the main ones? So as I go through these, I want you to pinpoint and please comment as a way of even just acknowledging it. It helps to put it into reality for you. So maybe you were brought up with lack and scarcity. So this looks like there's never enough time, money, support, resources. That was one for me, hundred percent. We were brought up poor. My mom, as I shared, single parent, we were actually on welfare for a little bit. I remember as I've shared before, getting the, um, the Christmas food hamper from our community because we were one of the lower income families. So there was a big lack. My mom grew all of our food and gardened and pickled and canned and all that stuff. But it was, and it was all coming from like, there's not enough. We have to stock up. We can't afford groceries. We have to make our own, which is beautiful. And now I've got a giant, you know, garden. I love, of course, growing my own food and all that stuff is really great. But I also witnessed it was coming from scarcity as well, which again, isn't wrong. I'm glad I grew up with amazing food and a mom who did that, but it was, there was also a lack in scarcity. And then of course in money and my mom was a single parent. So there was a lack of support, a lack of help. Um, so maybe you were brought up in lack of scarcity. Basically there is not enough and enough of what time, money, resources, all those things I'm talking about. The next one is safety. So you could have been brought up with physical lack of safety, and this comes into traumas. If you experienced a physical, mental, emotional trauma, when you were a kid, um, that it's not safe to be in your house. Maybe it's not safe. You know, I, again, I'm just airing out all my dirty laundry today. Um, there was alcohol in my house when I was growing up. My mom had a stepdad that was an alcoholic. And as he would get really drunk, I would feel really unsafe. And then there was a couple times where things happened where he was really hammered and really scared me. And so I learned like he was safe, but as soon as the beer comes out, like unsafe. And then actually when I was still young, like nine, 10, 11, every time my parents' friends would drink, I'd be like, you shouldn't drink, put the wine away. And they would just laugh at me. I remember them going like, oh, kid, meh, right? Kids don't know what they're talking about. Go play. I was really scared. I was scared of people drinking as I grew up until I started drinking as a teenager and then kind of numbed that feeling. But anyways, that was a, it was unsafe. It was unsafe when he was drinking. So it could have also been, um, and safety, it's not safe to be me. So you're highly sensitive as a lot of people have been acknowledging here live and anyone listening to this on the podcast, if you were called highly sensitive or dumb or, you know, um, whatever it is, you're too much, you're too loud, you're too quiet, you're too shy, you're a disappointment, you're a shame. Um, even if it's like, okay, sweetie, like make sure to like, you know, don't be too you, whatever that meant, right? It's not safe to be me. Or maybe safety is it's not safe to be successful. It's not safe to be rich because rich people are the root of all evil or more money, more problems, right? Maybe Biggie wasn't your parent, but maybe you were taught that money just causes problems. Like you don't want money. It's a headache. It's not worth it. It turns people evil, right? It's not safe to have money. So that all comes in under safety. Another area of safety is something bad will happen if I X, Y, Z. So something bad will happen if I stand up for myself. Maybe your mom stood up to your dad and he left and you learned 
it's not safe to speak up, right? So there's, I mean, one million and seven different combinations and nuances to like how this could show up in your life um, or just never feeling safe and secure. Maybe you were brought up with a lack of money and it was just like any day we could be homeless. Are we going to have enough money to feed, you know, the kids? Are we, we don't have enough money for lessons, stuff like that can of course, register as lack. I don't have enough money for lessons. I can't do, I remember clients, some of them telling me like, I really want to be on cheer or I really want to do this, but we couldn't, we didn't have the money that could be lack and scarcity, or it could be safety. Like we're that close to the line that I can't even take piano lessons or whatever it is. So the next one is unworthiness. So comment if there's any here so far that resonate with you, I'd love to hear, um, unworthiness or not good enough. So I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. I'm too dumb to get into college. People like me can't, don't have the focus. I have beautiful clients that have ADD or ADHD and they were taught like, I, you can't focus. Like you'll never be a scholar. Um, one client was told like, you know, not to go to university like their sibling because university is going to be way too hard for you because of the ADHD. And so I have, again, so much compassion for these things. This is never judgment coming from me, but that was what my client was legitimately told. And she held herself back from post-secondary education. She wanted to, but she believed that she couldn't hack it because of the way her brain worked. And so now she's gone on to be incredibly brilliant and take lots of courses in post-secondary because she healed through that. So maybe it's not good enough or unworthy, right? My body's unworthy. We are poor, which means we're not as, you know, cool as the rich kids or not as worthy or it's worth shame, whatever it is. And then another one is trusting. So so you were told you were too much of a dreamer. Yeah, get your head out of the clouds, right? And now I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to teach you how to get your head way in the clouds because the clouds is where you, where we need to be. Just kidding. We need to be ground down to rise up, but I am, I dwell in the clouds and look at me. I turned out okay. Um, but I hear you too much of a dreamer, you know, you know, be realistic, pick a real career, something like that, maybe. So trusting is the next one. So maybe there was mistrust. Maybe your parents said, you can't trust the government. You can't trust people with money. You can't trust men. You can't trust women. You can't trust anyone, even stranger danger. I mean, I'm all for not, you know, I, I don't encourage my kids to go get in a dark van, but I also don't tell my kids to be scared of every single person around because truth is most kids or most people are healthy, are good, are caring, but I teach them to pay attention to their in intuition, to never go with anybody. You know, we talk about this, but I don't instill fear like everywhere the boogeyman is waiting to abduct you. So sometimes we might've been taught that about safety or sorry, about trusting others, about trusting life, right? Maybe your parents felt like you can't trust the universe, whether they use those words or not. Maybe they were down with God and then a bunch of stuff happened. And then they were like, you can't trust God. It's actually, God's not here for me. And you learn not to trust life, not to trust spirit, not to trust God, not to trust yourself. Maybe you weren't shown a parent who trusted themselves, who knew what that even meant. And so naturally we just were taught that. And now if you're at a point where you're like, I can't trust myself, I self-sabotage, I procrastinate, I don't follow through on what I say I'm going to do. Um, and in a minute, I'm going to get to how these wounds show up. So this one's a little bit longer, but I'll try my best to just keep moving on so we can get through this. Um, but trusting yourself or others, others will let me down. The world will let you down, right? Some people go like, nobody will look after you. You have to look after yourself because nobody's coming to save you. You might've been taught that. 
and internalized it like, shit, I'm on my own. I can't trust anyone else, right? I even find now trust issues come up with family. Like now I'm in my own family where I have a husband and kids and his family and I'm creating my own family. And it's not that I don't trust anybody, but sometimes I'm like, even like, it sounds so funny, but his parents might go to like, take the kids or have the kids overnight. And I'm like, do they actually want to? Like, I feel bad. Are they just guilt doing this? And my husband's like, no, my mom's straight up. She will say, no, I can't have the kids or please give me the kids. There's no bullshit. There's nothing attached. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because I experienced sure I'll do it, but I'll make you feel guilty about it. And I'm going to hold it over your head. And you're never going to forget that one thing I did for you. And by the way, you owe me. That was basically what I experienced when someone would do something nice for me. So I learned to like not trust people. And I learned to be incredibly independent because I can't trust anyone. So I'm the one I can trust. If I want something done, I got to do it myself. I don't need anyone. And now as I approach 40, I am deconditioning myself from that to go trust them. They want to help. They wouldn't offer if they didn't, right? So these are the ways that these things show up. So I'm going to read the last narrative and then I want to read your comments. Um, the next one is you must work hard to be successful or strife equals success. So you have to work hard. Hard work is noble. Stress is success. The only way to get rich is to work hard, um, work hard now so you can relax later, which is the entire narrative around work, 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 get your one, two weeks off a year, retire at 65, and then you can relax, right? That's the way our whole society is set up. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's one that is in there too. And I know I've had lots of clients that their parents were like hard work, hard work, hard work, which is a great example showing usually those people have very strong work ethics. They aren't afraid of doing hard work, but sometimes we then determine our worth on our success and how hard we're working. We're also taught that we can't ever relax because to relax is like, I'm not making money while I lay on the beach. I got to keep working. And we set ourselves up in a way that we're trading time for dollars. And so if we have to leave one day, you know, from work early or we are sick one day, we lose money. And it just reinforces that belief of like, we must work hard to make something of ourselves. So again, just like I was saying at the beginning of this training today, that when I want to love my body, like this last month or so, I've done yoga almost every single day because I'm really committed to myself, because I love myself, because I love yoga, because I love doing that. So the effort is there. If I was to tally up how many hours I've done yoga in the last month, it seems like oh, that's a lot of yoga. That's a lot of work, but it came from love. This business, it is a lot of work. I'm doing emails, there's behind the scenes, there's sales pages, there's all the things I've done in the last seven years of setting everything up, eight years, the podcast, the recording, the, of course it's work. But I deconditioned from, I got to work really hard to succeed into, I get to be me. I get to do what I love, or I get to, um, do what feels right to me. I put effort into the things that mean a lot to me. I get to work hard and it's meaningful, but it no longer determines my identity. It's not like if I work harder, I'm going to be more special. Right. And so that's something we have to decondition as well. So we're going to, there's even more that we're going to go through today. So thank you guys so much for being here. Um, Okay. So mom and dad were split. Mom, we were poor dad, work, work, work for the pension safety. Mom had 
crappy boyfriends when the booze came out was too sensitive, was also weird and fat. Yeah. I'm so sorry you experienced that. My love feels like my life feel the trust thing. Yes. That was your dad, Brie about the hardworking. Yep. The last one, definitely the immigrant. And again, that served him well, the immigrant mindset of work, work, work. That's how you guys had food on the table. I'm getting massive goosebumps because I can see him energetically working so hard. So this is why we don't want to turn around and be like, dad taught me to work hard. It's a good trait. It's just that in our brain, we use it to define ourselves. And then we can't take any time off because who am I if I'm not working? right? Like your dad, I don't know if he's retired or if he's ever going to retire, but there's some people that are like, I can't stop. Not because I love my job so much, but because who would I be? I can't because my identity is wrapped up in that. I know my husband's daddy was a pilot, um, for his whole career from the time he was like 19. And then he was a captain at the end and he did not want to retire at 60. He felt very like, what am I going to do? So he bought an RV that the front of it looks like an airplane and now they drive around and travel. Um, but he had dreams every night for like almost a decade of his retirement about him in the cockpit and something was going on. And his identity was like, this is what I am, right? Like I am a pilot. I am a captain. That is my career. That is where I find my value and my worth and my nobility, which is beautiful. That's a really strong work ethic. But what about when you don't have it anymore? What if you got sick or what if you broke your leg and you couldn't do your job anymore? What about when it's time to retire? What about if you fall out of love with your job? Then who are you, right? You are not your job. You are not your hard work. You are you. You are what we talked about yesterday. The essence, the magic, the sparkle, right? You are not these physical things. My hands were wet. So I couldn't type when you were saying most of these felt some, yeah. Are you doing dishes? Are you doing dishes? <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. And, and thank you for sharing you guys. So we're starting to identify the narratives, right? You're like, Ooh, yeah, there's a lot of lack and scarcity, or there was safety narratives, not feeling good enough, unworthy, not being able to trust others, working hard, strifing, right? Lots of strife to be successful. So these are the exercises also in the workbook. As I said before, if you have not yet officially registered, make sure to register. The link is in my Instagram bio or below in the podcast. Um, and this is where you can get the workbook and go further into this work as we prepare for Thursday. So identifying these narratives. So we're kind of going over the same things in different ways, just to get crystal clear on what is going on, what is coming forward. So I want you to take something that you strongly desire in your mind. Just pick one thing. It might be money, success, love, self-esteem, um, whatever it is, pick something right now. Just one of the things that you want, and then ask yourself these questions regarding your goal. So what was I shown about X, Y, Z as a kid? So what was I shown about money? If that was what you picked your body relationships, being a woman, confidence, success, owning a business. What were you shown told, told empathetically picked up on shown in any way whatsoever? What were you shown about success? Maybe your one of your parents had their own business and they were constantly working, kind of like we're saying, and you know how Brie, you said like the, the immigrant mindset, the hard, hard work. So maybe you saw, you know, a parent that had their own business and they were always gone out of the house because they were putting money on the table at, or food on the table and maybe money on the table. <laughs> Again, good things. It's good. We want our parents to be hard workers, like accolades to them. I personally couldn't imagine being an immigrant or being a 
woman, a mom back then when we had these roles or the immigrant, as you were saying, that needed to work so hard and start something for their family in a new country. Like that is, I can't even imagine. I have so much compassion. So uh, the workbook gets sent out after the live. So it'll be sent out after the live once it's uploaded on the podcast within about an hour. So what were you shown about money, success, you know, these things as a kid? What were you told about these things? What did you witness about these things, right? So we're just kind of asking the same questions. What did you witness? What did you empathically pick up on around success? Like if you're, say with this example of like your parents working really, really hard and having their own business, you, if you started your own business without doing the healing work, I bet you, I bet you a toonie from Canada <laughs> that you would fall into, oh my God, I got to work really hard without even realizing it. Hustle, 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 because that's what you were shown, rightly so. It's not your fault. That's not even a bad thing, but it's detaching from the parts that keep us stuck the parts that don't let us relax, the parts that don't let us authentically ask ourselves, what is my truth? How do I want to do business? How do I want to do relationships, body, health, all of that, right? So what were you shown about this thing? What were you told about this thing? What did you witness? What did you see your parents or caregivers saying, acting, being around money, relationships, marriages, whatever it is, right? What did you empathically pick up on about being able to have everything you desire? I want you guys to sit with this. This came through as I was writing this workbook. This is actually something I've never shared with somebody else. This part, this prompt, I was like, oh, thank you. What did you empathically pick up on about being able to have anything that you desire? And if someone right now was to say to your parents, to your caregivers, to the most influential people in your life when you were around seven, you can have, you can manifest, you can create anything that you desire. If someone was to say that to your parents back then or now, how would they react? And if they believe that, if they went, yeah, for sure you can, how do you think that they would instruct you to go about doing it? So say your idea, what you want really is money. That's what you're thinking about. And someone told your parents back then or now you can manifest as much money as you possibly want. There's these laws of the universe. You're a divine creator. There's this thing called the law of attraction. You don't even need to get into that, but you can create and manifest anything you want. Would they go like, not us, not at this age, not in this economy, well, maybe that was the case before, but nowadays it's much harder to get by or not without a lot of work, not without a lot of investment capital. Well, you could, but you don't have time for that. Or if they maybe in the immigrant mentality, as we were talking about, maybe they go, absolutely. You can do that. Yes. Yes. And you go, okay, how, how do I, how do I do that? A lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice a lot of strife. You got to work your knuckles down to the cartilage, right? So I want you to think about that because these beliefs were imprinted from your parents. They are not yours. And now you're a grown ass, beautiful adult, and you get to create your own beliefs. So what would your parents have said about that? Unlimited potential and possibility. Of course you can, but it's going to take a lot, right? 
I notice narratives even coming from, you know, my, my husband's parents or my parents' generation, just even about hard work. I notice like, well, that's, that'd be way too much work for now. You guys have kids. So like maybe when they're grown and I'm going like, I'm already doing it, <laughs> but they're like, not, not now. Right. So again, these are our parents' narratives that we had no choice but to take on. I'm going to read your comments. I love how many comments you are. Thank you that you guys are sharing. Thank you so much. Growing up, actually, my father didn't want my mom to work. And now my husband feels the opposite, but is harsh about it. Money doesn't come easy. There's never enough. I'm seeing it now. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you're having these realizations. My father didn't want my mom to work, which is interesting because you are very driven to have your own freedom and income. You said in a previous comment, right? So maybe you witnessed your father not wanting your mom to work and part of you is turning around going, I am not going to be that. I am going to be financially independent, even of my husband, or just, I want to make my own money because your mom didn't have that option or was stifled in that way. But I choose not to accept this limiting belief. Yes. And that is where we are going. My love. I love that as a child, my dad lost his successful business. So maybe that's why I subconsciously am afraid of big success or when I've had it, I've retreated. Yes. That is the other shoe is going to drop syndrome, which I don't even fully know where that came from, but I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm just waiting for this to all crumble underneath me. Right. And that is a very common narrative. I had a friend or I mean, I had a client that had a podcast and I've shared about this a little bit with my podcast that there was a week or two where her stats went down. She's like, that's it. I should probably fold. Do you think I should even keep putting out episodes? And I'm like, what in Rice Krispies are you talking about? <laughs> and not actually, cause I'm very compassionate with my clients, but I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, the stats, the last two weeks have gone down. Like clearly it's going to keep going. And she was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. She's like, I can't pause. This can't possibly work out for me because she was shown something similar. She was shown parents who put in a lot of effort. The economy changed, bad investments and everything was taken from them. So she's looking at it exactly the same without realizing it until we do this work. Yes, that is how my husband would feel. I don't, uh, doesn't believe in manifesting or affirmations. My mom would be halfway, maybe believe my dad did believe when he was alive. I love that. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Wanting to be financially free. Yeah. And, and that's not a bad thing. None of these things are bad things. And that's the thing is I really want you to hear me. It's not all or nothing. It's not like, Oh, cause you have this drive to be financially independent because your mom never got to be. So I guess I shouldn't do that. Cause that's coming from wounding. No, no, no. We want to take these strengths, but we want to have confidence behind them and authenticity of this is my story. This is who I authentically am. I am going to be financially independent. And you can even look at it in the healing of generational traumas. I get to do what my grandma and what my mom didn't get to do, right? That could be it. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We just want to make sure that it is empowered and it's coming from a good place so that we can move forward. The other shoe is going to drop syndrome. Yes. Cause you to procrastinate, doubt yourself, had some past success, afraid to start up again. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. My love. These are all why it makes sense. It always, when you hit it, you're like, Oh my goodness, Jiminy crickets. It makes sense. Like I can see it. Right. 
All the feels. Yes. Yes. Taking action. I hear you. So remember that you could not have known how to process your emotions. You could not have known to have discernment when you were seven, you were taught money is the root of all evil. You were taught women don't go out and get jobs. You were taught you have to work hard to succeed. You were taught to not be financially independent or whatever it was. A woman stays home and, you know, is with the kids. Or if you choose to not have kids or it's not in your path, a woman, you know, a woman must be mothers. That's something I have clients that either haven't been able to conceive or don't want to have children. And they live in this, like my mom always asks me when I'm going to have a kid because she wants to become a grandma and there's all this pressure. And it's like a real woman has children like bullshit, a real woman, a real man, blah, blah, blah. I'm real. Look at all these cells. Look at all these skin cells. I am real. And just because I didn't do what my mom thought I should do or my whoever or society doesn't mean you're not a real woman, man, human, successful person, right? You were just a kid when you were learning these things and you had no way of discerning what is true and what is not, but now you do my love. And you came to this place in time for a reason to unblock yourself. So now we get to go back and heal. So We're identifying these narratives, right? And the last thing I want to say for us to really hit home what's going on is what are the main limiting narratives that now we've been talking a lot about childhood. So let's talk about now. What are the limiting narratives that come up as you're trying to manifest or your daily triggers in your life right now? So when you're frustrated, when you're overwhelmed, when you're trying to manifest money and then a bill comes in the mail or you feel endlessly frustrated with your body or with dating or with your business or where you are in life or your mental health, like what comes up? Is it, I don't have enough money. Maybe you're wanting to do something and everywhere you see is this course for $3,000 and this mentor for $10,000 and this gym membership for hundred dollars a month. And a yoga class is 25 bucks. And everywhere you look, it feels like you don't have enough money for the things that you want. Or what if I fail? We were just talking about that. What if I fail? I can't do that. What if I fail? Or what if it's the wrong choice? That's a huge thing people deal with in that sort of perfectionism. What if it's the wrong choice? What if I'm not supposed to create a podcast? Or what if I name it the wrong thing? Or what if I go for this job and say yes to it and it was the wrong job? What if it's, and it paralyzes us, right? What do they call that? Analysis paralysis. We're like, what about I could never do that? It's nice for those people on Instagram, but I could never manifest it. You know, that's nice for them, but not for people like me, right? I can't go out and do that because I am supposed to stay at home and be a mom, or I'm not good with money. Or as I was saying about my client, like I I have ADHD, I can't go to university, right? But again, is there a, a sign in the sky saying that? Of course not. Especially in this day and age where there's a lot of people coming out saying like, I'm neurodivergent as well, or I'm, and people of all like celebrities, well-accomplished people, doctors, teachers, healers, people all over the world are coming out being like, I am neurodivergent as well. And how many of them went to school, took courses? Like it's not actually true, but it's what we've been led to believe. So anyways, I can never do that. Or no matter what I do, it doesn't make a difference. I have a dear, beautiful client that that is one of her main narratives. No matter what I do, it doesn't make a difference. So what the fuck is the point? Because I'm just going to try and try and try and it's not going to work out because that's always what happens. I'm going to put in a lot of effort and it's not going to pan out. So 
that could be something that comes up nowadays when you're struggle, when you're struggling, when you're triggered. Maybe I've tried that before and it didn't work, which is a little bit similar to the one before. Maybe I don't have what it takes for numerous reasons. People of color can't do that, or I'm not smart enough. I'm not driven enough. I don't have the, you know, success gene needed to do that. Um, I don't have what it takes to make money. I've never made money. I'm not good with money. How could I ever make money? Right. I'm not that creative. I can't do it. I'm not X, Y, Z enough. So insert whatever smart enough, pretty enough, magnetic enough, um, resourceful enough, rich enough, um, attractive enough, whatever, right. I'm not this enough to do that. And, you know, I just want to say that like all of these have come up in my life. So if you're going, yep, and yep, and yep, that is very normal. And then what about like, what will others think of this? What will others think of me? Oof, that's a big one. I've had to really overcome that being online. I didn't really, don't take this the wrong way, but I didn't really care what people out there thought of me because I knew I would attract my tribe. I didn't really care so much if like the people listening to my podcast are going to be offended because I feel that if you're meant for me, then you're going to want to hear what I have to say, but it was actually outside people. I wouldn't, I still don't really share my business on like my personal Facebook page. I don't tell my family, like it's weird. I don't have an example family, but a lot of them don't even know what I do. My mom, my sister, whoever have never even listened to my podcast. Um, but it was always this, like, what will others think of me? I have someone in my family that's like atheist, does not believe in God, source, whatever, does not believe in law of attraction. It's a bunch of hooey. And I was always like, oh God, this is going to be so awkward at Thanksgiving. Like, meh. so I just hid and I'm working on it, right? I'm working on being me, but what will others think of this? If I start a business, if I become a healer, I have a client who's become, um, like a really gifted medium. It's insane. It's come like out of almost nowhere working together and her gifts have like activated. And she's going like, what, all of a sudden I'm like telling people that I give mediumship readings. Like what the hell, right? We have to work through these things. So anyways, what are the triggers that come up in your daily life? I'm going to read your comments in a second. And then which behaviors, and you guys have touched on some of these, which behaviors behaviors come out when you're trying to create something new? Is it self-sabotage? Is it fear? Is it the ego yelling in your mind? Is it feeling let down by the world disappointment? Is it procrastination? Is it perfectionism, right? So what behaviors come out when you're trying to create something new? These are linking into those root narratives. And as you go through the workbook, think about this, maybe listen to this again, you might go, yeah, it's procrastination as some of you are sharing. It's procrastination because a common narrative is what if, what if, what if I fail? And then now that I think about it, I saw my dad's business fail or there was incredible pressure to not fail. We just have to make that through line. We just have to go, okay. It's like decoding ourselves. And then Let's move into the healing part of this. This has been super long. Again, I thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's hard to, I don't want to rush through this. I want you guys to feel this shift in your life. What will others think? Yeah. Yeah. Afraid of trolls. Yeah. I, I, I actually surprisingly don't get trolls. I have had a few. I had uh, one day I was saying something, I had a quote that said like, you can manifest anything you desire or something. And this woman sent me a message and she's like, she's like swearing all this stuff. And she's like, and you're wrong. Jesus is the only one that can manifest. Get your shit together. I'll never forget that. I was like, whoa. But the good thing with a message is you can go delete. It's all good. Right. But I hear you. It's a big one. 
because I spend a lot of time in the 5D, me too. I feel like I'm not good at manifesting in the 3D. This is imprinted on me that I'm not strong enough to sustain success. Yes, I hear you. So we want to go into this healing work now, and this is now wrapping up toward the end of the training. This is how we start to initiate the healing. So once again, healing comes from self-compassion. If you're not in self-compassion, you are not healing. If you are being hard, critical, or there's this word drill sergeanty with yourself, it will never lead to healing. I punished myself into trying to lose weight for a decade and a half of an eating disorder. It never worked to be hard on myself, to hate myself, to look in the mirror and pick myself apart and be like, get to the gym, you stupid, you know, fatty, whatever I would call myself. I hate saying it, but you know, these words, it never worked. It did not get me into peak health. Like I was shitting on myself into peak health. Like it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. So we start to go. I witnessed the part of me, and this is in the workbook, I witnessed the part of me that experienced lack, scarcity, fear, hustle mentality, distrust, feeling alone, feeling too much, feeling ungood enough, experienced abuse, whatever it was. I, I, I witnessed the part of me that experienced blank and was shown blank. So I witnessed the part of me that experienced lack and was shown how hard it is to make money. I have compassion and love for her or for them. I get it now. And with compassion, I unsubscribe. So Amanda, you touched on this. Are you willing to unsubscribe? And in some ways, it's as easy as that. Of course, there are healing modalities and inactivated in week two, we go through healing, inner child healing tracks and more specific modalities. Um, but I'm still going to get to some specific ones here, but can you say to yourself, you know what? I've been run by lack and scarcity. I unsubscribe. I am learning. There is this spirit part of me that Talia seems to tap on sometimes. And I don't believe that anymore. Consciously, it doesn't fucking make sense. There is no sign in the sky. It is not an ultimate truth as we've been saying you know what? I unsubscribe. So I do this when say I'm manifesting money and a big bill comes in the mail. I like to talk about this and it's like, Oh my God, like, why am I back here again? And Oh man. And how are we going to pay this bill? And I go, wait a minute, stop. I've, I witnessed the part of me that was brought up in money is hard to make and easy to spend. I see that right here, it is a narrative playing out. It feels like money's hard to make. And as soon as I have it, something comes. So this is very much representing what I brought, what I was brought up with. I witnessed the part of me that was taught that this is the way life is that reacts. Like I'm never going to make money again. Like the other shoe is dropping. Like this is it. I might end up homeless. I react. I notice that part of me. I witness that part of me. And you know what? I choose to unsubscribe from the lack, from the scarcity, from the fear. I am learning how to learn to lean deeper into spirit, into abundance, into possibilities, all those things that my spirit wants to believe I'm realizing now it's a brain thing. It's a human thing. I've been bought into this. I believe it. It's now playing out. And I wish to unsubscribe from this pattern. And then how we do this. And in the workbook, there's more specific prompts that you can go through. And I'm going to read your comments here in a second. Thank you guys. I love all the comments. I just want to say, I feel so connected to you guys. It really helps to like 
not, not only know that I'm serving you, but to, you know, get into your energy and actually help you here. This is, this is what I'm for to actually help you. So some other prompts are, can I have compassion and love for the kid's self that was shown these things? So it's all coming up. Maybe we're scared of being abandoned. We're feeling too sensitive. We're feeling like we don't belong in the world. Can I have compassion for the kid version of me that was taught this, that was shown this over and over and over? Yes. So what I do is I bring up that version of me and it doesn't actually matter if you see like a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, a specific scene. I often see like one of my school pictures from like grade three or something. I just see like the, and I had like frizzy triangle hair and like nineties shirt. And I can like see myself like a big scrunchie. Wait, I still have a scrunchie. <laughs> I am that kid. <laughs> Earth shattering moment. But I say to myself, can I have love and compassion for the kid part of me that was always shown scarcity with money? This is what this is tapping on right now. This is actually what's coming up is that old narrative that feels so real that it creates panic. So I'm like, oh my God, it's playing out. But we have to realize we're going to get deeper into this tomorrow that we are the ones that create the reality now. And now that you know this, can you have deeper compassion for the kid part of you, the kid's self that was shown these things? Can you honor what that part of you went through? Whether again, you had a great childhood and you just witness these beliefs or you witness trauma, you witness family members going into trauma or going through trauma, you learn certain things about the world. Maybe you were a minority and you experience people treating you less than you were told about how you don't have as many opportunities. Again, these things can be true in physical life, but there are people of minorities now that become massive that make money or become CEOs or become healers or presidents or prime ministers or people that go on to live incredibly impactful lives. So you're, you're taking this forward now, but can you have compassion for the kid part of you that actually went through these things? It was real to you. Can you send her or them love? Can you send them wisdom can you send them now the words of what now you know? To the kid part of me who witnessed that money was really easy to spend and hard to make, I give you so much compassion that was real to you. You saw it. You saw it play out. You felt your mom's stress around money. But you know what? Now I'm hella wise. As I grow, I'm hella wise. And I look back to that kid and I say, sweetie, I know that that's what you experienced. And I'm so sorry that you went through that and that it felt so real. But we're, we're learning new things now. We're expanding more into the 5D. We're learning about unlimited possibility. We're learning about things like the law of attraction and what we're meant for. And we don't need to stay stuck in that. That was like a word that you learned the wrong meaning to, right? You learn that money equaled hardship or equals hardship, and it doesn't have to. With more money, you can actually be more generous. You can give more. You can create a charity. You can give to your friends who are going through financial hardship and lend them or give them money. You can do incredible things with your money. So now money becomes actually safe to make because I'm going to do really good things with it. So can you send them love? 
And then what is the main thing you want to tell that version of you so that they don't have to hold on to this belief anymore? This part of the work is going to be much deeper. You're going to experience more of an activation if you write it out and even just spend 10, 15 minutes or an hour or whatever in that vibe. What would I tell them? around this belief. So to wind back a little bit, to take that goal you have, and then remember how I said, what were you taught about this goal? What did you see about this goal? What were you, what did you empathically pick up on? So say it's money, write a letter to that version of you going like, I know you experienced this, but now I'm learning about money in a different way. And I'm going to take care of you and we're going to move forward. This is so powerful. So deeper healing starts by breaking the pattern of that narrative, having a higher awareness around it, having compassion for where it came from, knowing that it feels true, but it's not actually true. It has felt true that a skinnier body is better. Like going back to like my teenager self, it felt true then, but now I so know that that is not true, that people can be healthy and beautiful and radiant of all sizes. And sometimes skinny is unhealthy. Like it doesn't mean anything. People can be 120 pounds and healthy or 120 pounds and unhealthy. It now means nothing about my worth, about my value, about who I am. I know that now. And that is how we start to break free. So I'm going to leave you with a quote that again is in the workbook. I witness, so this is for when you get triggered into these times or procrastination or triggered feeling alone or hopeless or frustrated. I witness the part of me that is falling into lack, scarcity, not good enoughness, skepticism, feeling alone, whatever. And I'm now seeing how this was, this is how I was programmed to think. And I can have love and compassion for myself around this as I shift the narrative. So tomorrow we're talking, we're taking this further with what do you want to shift the narrative into an activation in your true magnetism of how you want this life to go. I'm offering and teaching a a beautiful tool from activated that always blows everyone's minds. I'm going to give that to you free in this event for tomorrow, but for now for this work, As we end this, I want to say that it is very real what you've been through, these narratives, how it's played out. And sometimes, often, we have this distrust that has been reinforced. So maybe you were taught not to trust men because that was what you were shown. And then you've had a bunch of relationships where you clearly cannot trust that person. They've cheated on you or lied to you or something. It's been reinforced. It feels real, but it becomes reinforced because of that previous narrative. It, there was always an original core wound that continued to loop in your life, continued to be shown. Also, it's not Like now that you're through it, it is something you learn through. It's part of where you gather your power. So is it ultimately true that you could never trust any men or that there's no good men? Oh yeah, Thursday. Thank you, Denise. Um, If that there's no good men, well, no. So you might go, I witnessed the part of me that is falling back into that belief that I can't trust people or that I can't trust men or women or whatever. I'm seeing now that I was programmed into that narrative and I can have love and compassion for myself and... I choose to move into a new narrative. I choose to unsubscribe from that, right? So we can't just go, I unsubscribe, I unsubscribe. We have to honor that part of us because that it's such a subtle part of healing 
But for me, say with my body, I'll go like, I'm just going to unsubscribe from feeling not good enough. And I'm going to work out every day. Still coming from the drill sergeant. I'm sorry, but it's still coming from the ego. It's still coming from the drill sergeant. But when I go, I witness the part of me that never felt good enough, that was taught that my body is my value, that how good I am or inspiring I am is based on my body. I have compassion that I believe that. And I now am shifting into a new narrative. And now instead of focusing on my body being my worth, I want to focus on pouring love into my body. What does my body want? Does it want water? Does it want to finish my coffee? Does it want vitamins? Does it want plant food? Does it want yoga? It'll get you to the same place, but in love, which will actually have you follow through because you're no longer reacting to a wound. Does that make sense? Okay. So many beautiful comments. And then we're going to wrap up. If anyone has any questions, please write them below. That's a big one for me. What others think? Oh yes. Um, a little afraid of very godly people coming down on me for believing in manifestation. Yeah. I believe in God too though, but some don't understand all of it together. I hear you. I so hear you. Remember online is online. Like I'm not devalidating your fears because they are real. And now with these tools, you can probably see a little bit more of where they come from, came from. Are you afraid of judgment of being judged? What happens if you're judged? Does that mean you're not good enough? Does that mean that you need to question your beliefs or that you shouldn't share? It's like really looking at that. Um, food for thought, Amanda, I believe too. And manifestation to me is a form of prayer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Brie, you're a beautiful example of that, of believing in manifestation and believing in God. Another thing with this is with God, this wasn't intended to be part of this stuff, but I love this organic conversation. You get to now create your own narrative with God, just like you get to create your own narrative with money, with your business, with love, with relationships, with trusting people you get to now shift the narrative away from anything you were brought up with around God, religion that didn't serve you. And you may redefine your definition of God. God may move from being a Christian God into, you know, more like the universe God. You may still call it God, but meaning it's all encompassing. Or maybe you take certain things from the Christian God that really resonate with you, but you release some of the restrictions that you felt guilty and carried shame around, right? So now it's also time to redefine that. And to me, and this is very personal belief, I, this, nobody has to believe what I believe, but God invented the law of attraction. Like, again, my personal belief, these laws are the laws of the universe. You can even look up the laws of the universe. It's, they're beautiful. So if God created all of this, including the universe, like the physical universe, the planets, the asteroids, the shooting stars, then God created the law of attraction and free will to choose what we want to create, right? So they don't have to be opposing. So I love this. I love this. Always put too much on the list to do for self, push it aside to go to work and do and go do work on the farm. Yeah. I've had to really, 
um, make sure I get in my me time. I posted on Instagram a little while ago. I do this thing called, um, 10 minutes for me and I do it. I try to do it every single day and I set a timer for 10 minutes and I usually put on music and just dance and see what happens. Often I end up on my yoga mat doing a flow or a hip opener or something, or I just dance wildly or I'll journal or I'll read. I'll just open a book that's inspiring, like at a certain, just any pages and I read or I do a card pull, but I set my timer for 10 minutes and call it 10 minutes for me. And sometimes I'm just like feeling myself. Yeah. Other times, as I said, it's yoga or writing or reading or mala beads or praying or being in the present moment, practicing present moment awareness, meditating, just laying on my mat in Shavasana, like open. doesn't matter what I do, but it's 10 minutes for me. That's a good one for moms or busy people, which is probably all of us. Okay. People I know online who put manifestation down, but I believe them. I just don't understand how it really works. It's not too different than believing and taking intentional action to me. Yeah, totally. So much of manifestation is your belief and taking inspired action, 100%. And that's why in today with healing, these are your beliefs. These are the beliefs that get in the way, right? I am not good enough. I am not enough. I cannot trust people, all these things, because that is the part that is creating your manifestations, creating your looping patterns. So in ending here, I just want to say that you can create anything that you desire. And what I want to do is I want to end the time of you going, what is wrong with me? What is blocking me? Why can't I do this? Am I ever going to do this? Please don't ask yourself that. I love you if you do. It's human nature, but please start having even more curiosity. I know you're a seeker. So to ask you to seek more is almost asking like a fish to swim more in water because you are a seeker. So shift that awareness into, okay, all that is between me and what I desire are some narratives. And instead of it being like, like, where are the limiting beliefs? What are my limiting beliefs? How am I ever going to find my limiting beliefs? I got to dig for my blocks. I always like to say your limiting beliefs are not like your lost keys that you find under the couch. And you're like, sweet, I found my limiting beliefs. We can move on. It's not like that, but your limiting beliefs show up in everything that you're doing. So when we're asking these questions in the workbook, like what comes up when you're trying to manifest something, what are the triggers you're experiencing every single day? And then through that inner child work, we just did looping it back in and going, Oh, okay. Right. That's what it is. So I really encourage you instead of kind of going like, what's wrong with me? Who has the answer going like, I'm going to start being a little bit more observant to what I see. And instead of it just being like, see, this is what we do. See, money is hard to make. I just made some, a bill came. Obviously it's true. And we reinforce the behavior. I say this with my clients all the time. There are endless chicken and egg situations where it's like, I don't believe that I can make money, but like Talia, look at my bank account. I clearly can't make money. Or every time I make money, it just easily goes away. It just happened. I just had $10,000 and then my hot water tank. See, it's true. And we get to a point where we're like, I know it's true, but chicken or the egg, was it the money that made you feel lack and scarcity? Like the lack of money that made you feel the lack and scarcity or was the lack and scarcity creating the lack of money? And that's always what it is. I don't know the chicken or the egg, but I know the energy comes first. And then it creates something real in our life that backs up that narrative. And we endlessly go see, 
Every time I try, I self-sabotage. I'm clearly not strong enough. Everybody else has it and I don't. I can't do this. I've tried over and over and over. I can't do this. See? But when you shift the narrative, the physical reality starts to unfold differently. So it's not that the money's causing the lack. It's the lack caused the lack of money. And we can work through this. It's actually quite simple, but it takes a willingness, which all of you have, everybody listening, everybody watching, you have that willingness or you would not be here, especially all the way to the end. You would not be here. But, and, it just takes that higher awareness and going, it's not ultimately true. Unsubscribe. I'm working my way into a new belief. Okay. I got to go. We're almost at two hours. I can't even believe it. I love you guys so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for showing up here, for doing the work. As I say, we need you. This planet needs you. Let's do this deeper healing work together. And as I said, if anybody is interested in activated doing an eight week journey of this, this is just one week. And I only scratched the surface. Get on the wait list. Today is your last chance to save as I mentioned, some incredible bonuses where you can even win um, the first two people to register two weeks of private mentorship with me, which is huge. I'm going to make sure you get that personal transformation. Activated is my signature program, all of my tools, all of my work, how I truly believe this experience works, everything that I have done to triple my income and heal my stuff and become who I am now compared to what I was. I've helped so many clients and students go through it. It is such an incredible program. I recommend it highly if it calls to you, if it's in the cards for this time in your life. Otherwise, I can't wait to hear your break for your breakthroughs for this day. And on Thursday, we are back at 9 a.m. Pacific for our last module, which is all about that true magnetism activation. We're going to talk about new beliefs. We're going to talk about quantum. We're going to talk about embodiment and truly bringing this all together to truly act activate this next level of you. I cannot wait. Thank you guys. I acknowledge you from my soul to your soul. Namaste. The light in me sees the light in you. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to day two of Purely Magnetic. I truly hope that it helped you move the needle forward in your life. So if you have not yet grabbed the workbook, please do so if you want to dive deeper into these prompts. You also get a free meditation. The link is below. And of course, if you feel called to go on this journey even deeper and get that life-changing transformation that you are here for, join me in Activated. The link for that is below as well. Okay, Seeker, I acknowledge your hard work. I acknowledge your light. You're doing a great job. You're on the right path. And I will talk to you soon. <laughs>